Hello and welcome. I'm Barry Winbolt and this is Get a Better Handle on Life. Do you ever feel that life is a bit difficult? Do you find yourself struggling to keep up with all the demands you have to deal with? Well, you're not alone. There are an infinite number of challenges we have to tackle in life and we're often unprepared. That's why I produce this podcast. In each episode, I deliver expert insights, practical advice and real-life examples to help you get a better handle on your life. Some of this comes from me and some from the inspiring people I'm in conversation with. And what a treat we have today. I'm talking to Eric Marshall about his journey from anxious and unwilling student accountant with what he describes as an inconvenient and rather risky relationship with alcohol, via a challenging process of self-discovery, to a highly successful business career, and now he's a budding author. We'll get to all that, but what I've found so riveting when talking to Eric in the past is hearing about his honest and brave expedition, as he describes it, into the unknown areas of himself to discover what so many of us seek, happiness. Hello, Eric. How great to be talking to you again. Hi, Barry. Yeah, it's really good. Really good. It amazes me, it's modern technology. We can have a personal conversation and we're not even in the same room yeah yeah that's that's fabulous now the 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 setting to this is that we work together it must have been 15 years ago or something Uh, but I think we always identified in each other somebody who kind of spoke the same language yeah especially when it came to having a pint we we definitely spoke the same language yeah there's definitely common (laughs) interest so oh we're off to a great start so we were we met up because you are uh, in the process of writing a book on your uh, one of your main topics in life, which happens to be accountancy. And before anybody switches off, you know, we should say that I was very taken with your approach to that because it's it's a book for really for non-accountants, isn't it? But it isn't about accountancy. It's far more than that. Yeah, and it's. I, I reflect on on my journey uh, becoming an accountant because I never wanted to be an accountant. Uh, it, it was a means to an end, and and so I found it really, really difficult. And and I I went through all of the things that I I know people experience in my consultancy when they bring me in. They have this anxiety about finance, about numbers. It's some dark art that uh, only people from behind the curtain can understand and they need to bring some guru in to explain what it's all about and ease their process. But I know having gone through the process and being in their shoes, that it shouldn't be like that. You just need someone who can explain what accounting is all about. And my experience is that there's never been anyone who can explain accounting in a way that I could understand and I thought I was stupid but you know I I stuck at it and I eventually found once I've got a few miles under my belt um, it was far easier than anyone had explained to me and uh, that's what I want to explore in the book really. Okay well we will come back to that won't we we've we've agreed to do that but but what came out of it over breakfast a, a week or so ago was this brilliant expose is that the right word this brilliant description of a process you went through in your own development Mm. which you've told me is kind of linked to this book Mm. and that involved your interaction your experience of therapy or counseling Mm. so that's what we're talking about here today yeah that's and 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 it is really relevant because you know that that same process I, I went through to be an accountant, from someone who was very scared about accountancy to actually being an accountant. I I went through that same process in my counselling. As it, you know, in hindsight, I was very scared of who I was and how I fitted in the world, and I had to go through this process to become comfortable with that. So there's some some great similarities there. 
and uh, and I think that's kind of how we got talking about my 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 counselling um, experience. Yes, and you've got a particularly open-minded and receptive view of that whole process. Whereas I think, you know, as a therapist myself, I meet people who, um, once they're in the room with me, uh, it's really a, a conversation of equals. But until that happens, until that moment, a lot of people are almost lurking on the sidelines, not quite sure that they want to announce that they've been to counselling or that they've had something in, in, you know, to help them develop as a human being, which, of course, we all need at some point. Yeah. Well, you know, it's like, you know, and it's like saying, uh, you know, you want to go on the ski slope, but you, you don't want to tell anyone you've had a ski lesson. I mean... It's- it's <laughs> a really good analogy, and I know you're you're a relatively recent adopter of skiing. I am. Uh, I'm a totally failed skier, I have to <laughs> I say, know, so, so far. But 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 I under. <laughs> 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 well, no, for my own fault. It was my own fault. I was a failed skier because I went when I'd already had an accident, so I wasn't in any fit state for the slopes. Uh, but it demystified the whole process for me. Something fell away from my eyes. I'd always been scared, in fact of all of that process of hiring the gear, special clothes you had to wear, special boots, putting your skis on, all of that terrified me, if I'm honest. And then when I went for a lesson, I suddenly felt, oh, right, now I can do that. Now that's a major hurdle for me. And I suppose that's a little bit, in a very simple way, what you, you're talking about. Yeah, and 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 what what's quite interesting is is that that it's amazing where we get our influences from. And I, and I, I, I remember when I was... I was doing my business degree. I was very, very fortunate to have some some great lecturers. Um, and uh, our, there was this chap, uh, Jakub Murray, who who taught me um, organisational organisational dynamics. And um, we talked about, you know, how human beings, when they come together, behave in very predictable ways. Inquiry into when we consider ourselves to be individuals, human beings. We're all unique, right? And we're all individuals. Why is it when we get into certain situations, do we behave in exactly the same way? And, you know, it started my thinking about myself. Well, I'm one of those people that when I get into that in situation, I behave in that way. You mean, you mean like everybody else? You conform? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the positive side of why I got into counselling. But then I also... Um, it, you know, as is as is the way we develop habits, and we we think that those habits are just who we are. Mm-hmm. And you know, my habits included really, really heavy drinking and um, putting myself in d- dangerous situations. For, and, and I thought, well, that's just fun-loving Eric. And it wasn't until I, I, I had people that would, would say to me, Eric, do you know what you're doing? You, you're going to kill yourself. You carry on like that. And, of course, you're, my automatic response was, oh, don't be ridiculous. I'm just having a bit of fun. Who are you to tell me not to have a bit of fun? But it sort of, it sort of came to a head when I, you know, I, I, I met my wife and we we were looking at getting into a relationship, but she, she realized that I had some very uh, uh, strange behaviors, you know, especially around drinking. And, 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 you know, she said, well, look, I'd love us to get together, but you really got to look at this stuff because I I, I don't want to be your life boy. You know, we, we've got to come together as equals and be a partnership. I, I can't be your crutch. And so that, and a lot of other things, meant I started to look at um, look at counselling. And on the outset, it was always, come on, you're just going into a room and you're talking to someone. How the hell can that benefit anyone? You know, I do that down the pub. I go and talk to people down the pub. So why paying somebody to sit in a room and do what I do down the pub? How is that going to make any difference? Right. You know, and when I explain to people that, that I have counselling and they go, well, that's your talking to people, isn't it? And they go, well, it is, but it is a lot more than that. It is, it is talking to someone who's really listening. You know, when you go and talk to your, someone down the pub, there, there's always another agenda going on and it's, it's always about, 
all sorts of things other than you, but you get into a space where somebody is really listening to you. And the listening manifests itself in terms of reflecting. Oh, so, so just say that again, Eric. Right. Okay. So you just like a drink. Okay. So are there any times when you like a drink more than others? You know, and you start that, that conversation. That reflective process, in fact, while you're talking. E- exactly. Exactly. I've had so many people in my life say, Eric, you've got to stop drinking. You drink too much. And, and I always look at that as, as a matter of opinion. But if somebody, if I'm talking to somebody, as in my, in my counselling, the process was I was talking to someone who asked questions and allowed me to come to my own conclusions. It's a very different, it's a very different process. When you, through the questioning of somebody else, formulate your own opinion about where you are and why you've done certain things. The power of that, it's, it's incredible. And I, I, I can't really describe it until you've actually done it, but that, that, that was the fundamental, the fundamental difference for me. And, and, and yeah. I suppose there's also an element of, uh, kind of not letting you off the hook. You know, you've mentioned down the pub, well, we can change direction any time we like. Um, we'll often end with, an, with a one-liner or a joke to get ourselves out of a tight spot. But did you find in your counselling experience that anything happened which kind of put you in touch with things which you normally wouldn't have gone through or gone there? You'd have just kind of veered around it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's really good. That's a really good point because, yeah, I, I th- there'd be conversations about my parents um, and, you know, my counsellor would say, uh, every time we get to this point, you, you change the subject. Do you know you're doing that? And I go, no. And she said, well, when we talked about it then, you did it, and then and then are you aware you're doing that? And I say, and I'd say no. And and then we'd look at, we'd go over those conversations again and I'd reflect on what I was going through. And then she'd say, well, what, what's going on for you? Talk to me about how you're feeling around this. And then we, I, I'd start to articulate what was happening for me while I was having that conversation. And it's that, that kind of, um, you know, it's almost like um, recording yourself and then playing the video back to see what actually happened. You know, you've got somebody calling it out in real time. And this is why I, I, I talk about the, the idea that someone's really listening. You know, it's a conversation where somebody's really listening and everything you're saying has an importance as well as what you're not saying. And somebody, a professional who can, who can, knit all of those elements together and present it back in a way that you can digest is an extremely powerful it's an extremely powerful tool yes and you use the term articulate which i think is a particularly pertinent or relevant word from what you're saying in that ideas begin to become clearer but also you get a grasp of them a grasp of things in yourself that you can then express. Is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, one of the the uh, uh, the things that that sort of became apparent was in certain situations, I've I've always been accused of trying to overachieve, or alternatively, not engage at all because of fear of failure. And discussing this with with my counsellor, it became very apparent that those behaviours were because of some deep felt concerns I had about how I fitted into the world, which were very much linked to, you know, when I was younger. And, and for example, you know, um, my, I used to be a keen footballer. And uh, uh, I remember when I was 12 or 13, um, uh, I was sitting watching Match of the Day one day with my dad and uh, Arsenal were playing. And uh, I, uh, I said to my dad, 
going to play for them one day. Um, and my dad turned around and said, no, you won't. Don't be silly. You, you'll never be good enough. What he didn't know was the following week, I did actually have a trial for Arsenal. But in that moment and moments like that, it set my perception of myself, which meant that later on in life, I either had to overachieve to kind of prove to my dad that I was actually better than he, he, he believed I was, or I would shy away from the situation because I felt I wasn't capable of doing something because I was always told I couldn't achieve. And so by having the conversations and talking about my responses in certain situations, I began to evolve this pattern of behaviour. And and the more we dive deep into, well, what is that about? What were you feeling? When did you feel like that previously? And we could build together this picture. It wasn't like the counsellor was sitting there saying, ah, right, okay, you've really got father issues. It's because your father wasn't good to you or blah, blah. And that's not how it works. It's always about asking questions. What do you think? What connections are you making? And that work continued between sessions as well, because it wasn't just while, you know, once I got into the habit uh, of counselling, because that's another thing that we we probably should come back to that. The counselling, I had to develop a habit with my counsellor about, how I worked, how I approached a session, and what I did between sessions. So it would kind of get to a point where we, there'd, be, there'd be some revelation that would come to me in, in my counselling, and I'd reflect on that between my sessions. And so what happened between the sessions was as, as important as what happened in the sessions. Yes, yeah, and that's often said, certainly I remember from my training and in in in. Uh, something I've always said when when training others that remember that you know the client spends maybe an hour with us a week whatever it is uh, however long the sessions last but the the process goes on in between sessions and it's very very important to remember that because uh, we as therapists can unwittingly make counterproductive uh, suggestions to people without realizing perhaps in the moment that they could take away the wrong idea because it it influences the process we really have to let the person find their way in their life because they spend a tiny amount of time with us in terms of overall time they have to for themselves and so you know we have to equip we have to help clients find things which they can equip themselves with and then use and and so that's a really fundamental part of it I think yeah yeah I'm I'm very interested in in you said that earlier that you know it's just sitting in a room what am I scared of basically and and we kind of moved past that but that must have been how did you overcome that what nudged you to actually picking up the phone or whatever it was I mean I know you had a bit of coercion from your uh, future wife but what else or a bit of pressure shall I say perhaps not coercion what in you was the process of making that decision that enabled you to make the decision because clearly you weren't as enthusiastic then as you are now about the process no um a lot of things like I said you know when I when I was doing my my degree and I was looking at those those uh, models about human behavior that showed that in certain circumstances we behave in exactly the same way, even though we're this free thinking individual. Um, and I, you know, I, I was very fortunate to have some really good people that, that, that I, I came across in life who, who took the time to talk to me and, and coach me. And this, this pattern of personal development developed sort of, a, sort of in my twenties. Um, wanting to, and again, it's probably linked to this overachieving um, uh, element that I that I have. To tr- I, I always want to try and overachieve, which is linked to a lot of things that was in my childhood. But actually, one of the benefits of that was that things would interest me, and and I'd I'd look at ways at how I could improve. And 
and it seemed that that getting a better understanding about who I was um, was was really important. And 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 there was I remember when I I was doing this uh, partaking in this management development program, and I went to the Lake District to do one of these team building events, and um, uh, I. You know, the typical thing is, is they, they give you scenarios. And you know, so we'd be marched out into the woods and they, they'd say, right, we need to we need to track through the woods here in the dark and get to, to the other side. And so who wants to be the leader? And of course, it'd be, I'll do it. I'll do it. Let me do it. Let me do it. And, uh, and then another scenario would come. Yep, yeah, I'll, I'll do it. Come on, I'll do it. You know, this overachiever and wanting to prove something all the time. And um, uh, partway through the week, um, uh, needless to say, my ambitions to lead the team and 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 deliver a successful outcome didn't really work <laughs> there was a, you know, I remember lead, practically leading them off a cliff once in the dark just because I was just wanting to to to, to be the, the person that led the team to success and um he, he said he sat me down he said look let's have a catch-up and review about where you're where you're at and uh he said, Do you have you ever watched Dad's Army? And I, I said, oh, I love, I love Dad's Army. He said, he said, um, you know that character, Corporal Jones? I go, yeah, yeah, brilliant character, brilliant. He said, that's you, that is. <laughs> <laughs> I, I said, what? He said, well, he said, look, every, every task, every task, when we ask for a volunteer, you're always there. Me, me, let me do it, let me do it, sir. Let me, Mr. Manrin, I could do it. I could. <laughs> it was it was one of those moments where I thought, oh, my God, I know who Corporal Jones is. And I remember saying all of those things when I was off. Oh, my God. I am Corporal Jones. And of course, that connection that there was a pattern of behavior there, which wasn't necessarily my own, made me made me start to think in that week. Whoa. Well, doing that behaviour undermined the position that I was trying to achieve. I wanted to try and be successful and be seen as a go-to person who could um, lead a team. But because of my excitement about wanting to put myself in a position to do that, I didn't really consider whether I was equipped to do it. And I actually completely undermined my position. I was actually seen as a bit of an idiot. I was actually seen as Corporal Jones. Um, and uh, I didn't want that to continue. And so it was insights like that that made me think, well, what do I do to change that? And, of course, okay. I'd start reading and I'd start talking to people. And then the idea of counselling started to uh, uh, be presented as, a, as an idea. And it was a little while before I started to engage in it. But um, the moment the moment I did... I began to see that connection between um, uh, learnt behaviours and how they are very different necessarily from who I actually want to be, you know. The great thing in you must have been, it seems to me, that yes, okay, they were the circumstances that led you to it. But what you brought to that was a curiosity about yourself and an open-mindedness about possibilities. You know, somebody who doesn't think they can change won't engage with that process, because what's the point? So something that precedes all of that is your willingness to accept that as a human being, you could be malleable, you could improve yourself as a human being. Is that fair to say? Well, no, that's absolutely true. And it was it was in my you know, in the process of, of, of learning how to be a manager, I, I, I read this book and it said, uh, well, if you think you can or you think you can't, you're probably right. Yes. And, 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 and you know, there, there were so, there's so many things in leadership and management, which is about how you approach that situation mentally. If you think a problem can't be solved, it's a self, becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. It won't be solved because you think it can't be solved. So how do you change that mindset? You know, how do you how do you start thinking in a way that makes things possible? You know, and you you, you talk to these you talk to these athletes 
right? Th- th- these athletes and sports people who, who, are, who achieve beyond what anyone else does. And, and people say, well, yeah, they're lucky, they're physically fit, blah, 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 blah. But you talk to anyone who knows football, for instance, they'll tell you it's 90% mental, 10% physical. And it's true. It's true. You know, um, and, and it, it is about it is about how you how you um, approach these things to make them possible. Now, I, 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 there was this brilliant story I heard a little while ago. Um, well, just recently, you know, you know that film, um, you know, that film, uh, All Quiet on the Western Front. They, there was a remake of that film just recently, and it, it, it was on Netflix, and it's, it, it won all the Academy Awards. Um, it just swept the board. And fascinating story. The woman that um, uh, who, who was behind the making of that film, she was this uh, uh, a Scots lady who, who, who was a, um, a triathlon athlete, and uh, she was sitting in, a, in a, uh, um, uh, a coffee bar in America, having a coffee with a guy and she picked up the book randomly and he said, why hasn't anyone read that, re, remade this movie? Anyway, long story short, she started this conversation with a, with a writer, found out no one had the rights to that movie, apart from the family, the family who, of the guy who wrote the book. So they, they contacted the family and said, oh, can we have the rights to the movie? And they said, yeah, we'll give you a three-year window to make the movie and you pay us X amount and you've got the rights for three years. If at the end of those three years you haven't made the movie, you can apply for rights again. Now, uh, as anyone who's made a movie, I haven't, but I hear it's really tough. Um, so from sitting in a coffee coffee bar to actually start to make the movie, it doesn't happen overnight. Those three years went by really quickly. They were getting to the end, end of those three years. They'd run out of money because they'd spent money trying to schmooze the, the studios, etc., so they had to buy a new, um, a new three-year period to, to make the movie. So um, says to her partner, how, how are we going to do it? Anyway, as I said, she, was a, she's a, 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 she used to do triathlons. And uh, she, she, she looked up and said, oh, there's a race coming up. Now, if I win this race, <laughs> I'll have enough money to make the movie. Right. <laughs> as you do yeah, right? yeah. I mean she was an athlete a professional athlete so and she was very very good at what she did but so it wasn't a huge leap that I enter the race I win it I get the money but here's the kicker right the day before the race she breaks her shoulder wow right now this is how people with positive mental attitude work she says Unlike you and I would say, okay, let's, let's go to plan B because I can't do the race. She says, right, how can, I, how can I do the race? I know. I'll strap my arm up and we'll see how it goes. <laughs> now, bearing in mind, it's swimming, riding the bike and running. Right. And the riding the bike was not on the flat. It was um, uh, mountain bikes. Right. Wow. So anyway, <laughs> straps her arm up. Does the swimming bit with one arm, gets out. She's in 15th place when she gets out the other side. Jumps on her bike, does that. By the time she finishes uh, finishes the bike bit, she's in fifth place. And as she, she says, she said in the interview, and she said, and the good thing was running was my strength. And I'm thinking, you've, you've got a broken shoulder, you've just done the swimming bit, you've, wrong, you've ridden cross-country, and she's saying, right, now on to my real strength. And she runs the race, and she wins it, and she gets enough money to put the movie on. But It's a movie so, in itself, isn't it? Right? <laughs> right? And so, you know, and I... Perhaps we should say at this point that the triathlete's name is Leslie Patterson. She describes herself as obsessive already, so um, maybe that helped her. Yeah, and and I've I've come across stories, maybe not as exceptional as that, but you know this idea about you know David Beckham. He when everyone finished training, he'd go back out onto the pitch and he'd practice taking free kicks. You know, so this idea. If you change the way you think, 
you can achieve far more than you think you can. Yes. Right? Right. And I've, I've always tried to, to plow that into what I do every day. And I, I remember when I started doing my accountancy, and I did this, I started quite late. And I remember sitting, talking to, um, to, to people on my course, and they said, well, what are you going to do when you're qualified? And I said, well, I'm going to, I'm going to um, earn a six-figure salary and work for an international company. And they go, yeah, you won't do that. You won't do that. Of course, I wrote that down in a pad, and I did. So did you go straight from accountancy to a six-figure salary? Is that what you're saying? No, not quite. I had to work a bit at it. But, um, But again, this is why writing the book was important to me as well, because I was not equipped to earn a six-figure salary because I didn't like accounting and I didn't think I was very good at it. But I had to get my my head in the right space. I had to set myself goals and I had to work really hard to achieve something that I didn't like and wasn't very good at. Right. And so all of these things were were still patterns that that, that made counselling become a no-brainer because... All of these successful people overcome adversity and use huge mental strength to achieve their goals. And yet everything I was seeing in myself, I was Corporal Jones. Right. And that was holding me back. Um, just for, pe- for, for the listener who doesn't know, because, of course, this goes all over the world. So the listener who doesn't know what Dad's Army was and who Corporal Jones was, this was a story about the Civil Defence Corps in Britain, which were kind of paramilitary people but they weren't military at all and in this particular film it's a series a tv series they're all portrayed of with different levels of incompetence in different areas of the life so you've got the stuffy bank manager who doesn't know how to manage men or anything he just barks orders and you've got the the diffident one and then you've got the sycophantic one who's always sucking up to the boss and corporal jones is about 83 if I remember rightly, right. do you want to take over? I mean, who was Corporal Jones in the series? Yeah, so, yeah, he was about 83 and he was always being told you can't do it because you're too old. And he was always constantly wanting to prove that he wasn't too old. And he'd be, you know, he'd be doing all of the craziest things almost out of a, a, a desire not only to, to be supportive of Captain Mannering, but I think on some level prove to everyone, even though he was 83, he could still do stuff. And so I was more like Corporal Jones than I actually would ever wish to admit in public, let alone on a podcast that goes all around the world. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you just have. I know, right? But there you go. You just have. <laughs> but it is in the past. And and so the nudge, back to counselling, the nudge was then you one day you were never going to go and sometime later not very long afterwards, it sounds like, you made the decision. Yeah. Did you go with the first person you met or did you have to look around? No, no. And this, and this is the thing, right? So you, if you go into a pub, right? and um, Lots of pub stories here, again, yeah, yeah. Lots of pub stories. So, so if you've got something you want to share with someone, will you just go into the pub and tell anyone or will you go to your trusted mate or friend to to tell them. Of course, you're going to go to a trusted mate, someone you've got confidence in, and it's the same with counsellors. You know, um, you you are you're going to put yourself in a position where you are going to be at your most vulnerable, and you're going to be at your most exposed. So, if you don't connect with the person in front of you, you will not achieve everything you need to achieve because you will not feel safe, and so. Um, the idea that you're going to pick, go with the first counsellor you meet, you might be lucky, but if you're not, it doesn't mean that the counselling process in itself is wrong. You haven't found the right person for you. That's a really good point. Yeah, really now, I, good I, point. I, and I'm a, and I'm a particularly. I, we all have our own challenges, and I'm, 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 I'm particularly, I, I, I'm particularly stubborn, pig-headed. Um, uh, and, and I love to talk over people. So I had to find a counsellor who could deal with all of that. Who could handle you, basically, and with whom you felt comfortable. And could handle me, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
and 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 I, I I'd had some counselors who were who were I mean they were all good, but they didn't quite fit with me. And it wasn't until I found um, the counselor I, I worked with for for the longest period of time. Um, she was she was she just called called a spade a spade, and she was very direct and said, Eric, you're talking a load of bullshit. And she would say that to me, you're talking rubbish, Eric. Come back in the room and be honest with me. And that was the sort, that was what I needed. And because she was, she was able to be direct like that, um, we got on really well. I think um, something that I've been told by clients for many years is that many have had failed attempts at counselling. And so often they will come in, as one man said to me a couple of years ago, my wife says I need a good slap and I, I've heard that you're the guy to do it. Now, before people are all up in arms that there's some physicality involved here, there isn't. <laughs> but he needed jolting out of his complacency and out of his own narrative, which he quite willingly accepted when we got down to it in such a way that it wouldn't come back and bite him every time he got into a certain situation in life. And we weren't going to do that by being necessarily comfortable all the time. And that works on both sides for the counsellor as well. You know, I've often said to trainees, listen, you'll be faced in some circumstances with a question you're dying to ask, but you won't dare ask it. Why is that? You know, it makes you uncomfortable or you think it's intrusive. Or if you get that feeling, you've really got to, as a counsellor, think about that. And, and actually, because I am the sort of person I am, it just makes me ask the question to see what will happen. <laughs> um, but, you know, that's, that's just me. It, not everybody does that. So it's interesting that you looked around, you had a few false starts or, or positive experiences, but it didn't get you where you wanted to be. And then you met somebody with, with whom you worked for the longest. How long was it, roughly speaking? I worked with with her for about six years. Did you? Right. So that was quite a long process. And was that continuous or stop stop? No, no. There was there were there were stops. You know, when I thought I could, you know, I'd I'd reach as far as I. You were grown up. You could go out on your yeah, own. Yeah, and <laughs> it didn't it didn't last long. But but the important thing was was that um, I I was in control of it, uh, and uh, she respected that uh, I, I felt I needed a break. Um, uh, she wasn't surprised when I came back, um, but I'd always come back. Like, you know, like I said, when you work, work in between sessions, I, I was constantly trying to work on, on what I'd learned because to, to try and improve myself. And I'd get to a point where I think, well, there's this, this hurdle. I keep coming up against this hurdle. I can't get past this hurdle this thing is happening in my life and it keeps happening. Can you give me an example of a hurdle? What, 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 what do you mean well, by a hurdle? you know, and it, 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 a lot of it was around my drinking, you know, and I, mm -hmm. I, okay. you know, I'd, I'd, uh, I, I'd think, oh, I'm, I'm fixed now and I can control myself and, and, and my drinking, but I'd still find myself getting back into these situations. Um, uh, and it would, you know, and I'd wake up with a sore head the next day. Oh God, I've, I've done it again. What? So then you'd sit up and take notice and think, okay, I know where yeah. to go to yeah. continue so the I, journey. I, I suppose. I suppose too that. Sorry to cut you off a bit there. But I suppose I just want to capture this idea that of stopping, uh, if if it feels right to you at that time to stop the process, because with any developmental process, whether it's ourselves or somebody else. You know, sometimes we need to stand back and look at how far we've got with the work. You know, you can be doing pottery or you can be painting a picture or you can be uh, developing something else, not just yourself. And you need occasion, one needs occasion to stand back and appraise what you've done and let new ideas come. It isn't necessarily a continuous no, no, process, that's, that's is it? No, that's a really good point, Barry, this idea about you consolidating what you have, you know, because fundamentally, for, for me, um, you know, I was in my my 40s by the time I, I started accessing counselling and you know being on the other side of that that process I realised up to that point I'd spent 40 odd years practising the behaviours I was trying to unpick and and you know what it's like when you when you've done something 
long enough, you, you do it instinctively. And we've all we've all got in a car and we've we've been driving, and then we realise we've driven um, three or four miles. We don't even remember having driven those those miles, changing gears, turning corners, because we do it instinctively. And you know what what I found out for myself was that I had developed these behaviours at a very very early age. And had practiced, practiced, practiced these behaviours for forty years, and I was an expert at being an idiot. I would, I, I, Do you know that this is such an important point? Because I, I'm always saying to people, you know, every time you do that behaviour you don't want, you're reinforcing it, and that this is independently of counselling. You know, this is when, when. Um, I, I, I talk to people or I answer questions and people come in. I mean, they're all, they're all personal development related, but questions come in which are, you know, I find that I'm, um, I'm sitting thinking about X. And, uh, you know, of course, every time you rerun that thought, it gets a bit more of a toehold. So it's not about stopping the thinking. It's about developing the ability to control what we think about so that we can divert our thinking to something less potentially damaging or limiting for us. Yeah, that is, that is such a good point, Barry. And, and, you know, they talk about being an alcoholic. You're never, uh, you're, you're never not an alcoholic. I, I'm never not the person I've always been. And I still have my challenges but that point that you made, Barry, about that process of thinking, when, when I first made the connections I, and I get presented with a situation, um, like someone says something nasty to me, my immediate response is to say, yeah, I'm a bad person. I'm, I'm, I'm wrong. I'll, I'll go away because I'm really bad. My instinctive reaction is always to do that. But through my counselling, I learned that that reaction was because of all my experiences that I'd practiced all those years. And so when I find myself in a situation, someone says a bad thing, my, my instinctive reaction, it still is today, oh, I'm a bad person, I need to run away. Then I go, hold on, there's that thought. You've had that thought before. Why have you had that thought? That thought is triggered because of X, Y, and Z, what you, you've understood. Right, remember that. So what, that, what you're hearing isn't about you. That is more about them than you. So you don't have to respond in the way you've always done. Now, soon after, when I soon made those connections, it would take me quite a while to, to understand that that's what's happened. And sometimes a, that situation would come up and I wouldn't really make the connection until after the event. And I'd say, oh, God, that's what happened. All right, well, next time I'm in that situation, I'll behave differently. Of course, I go into that situation, I still behave in the same way. But my, the time it takes me to respond to that situation and process that scenario gets quicker and quicker and quicker. And it's like doing keepy-uppies, you know. The more you practice it, the better you'll get at it. And now, when I find myself in that situation, that thought process is, oh, yeah, I'm really bad and wicked. Hold on, no, that's a thought that you've, you've had before. When have you had that thought before? Oh, I had it in that situation, that situation, that situation. Was that about you? No, it was about them. The reason you're feeling that is because of X, Y, and Z. That happens in a second now, but it, it still happens. In real time. In real time, it still happens. But because I, I'm practicing it. You've trained yourself into a new way of thinking, but you haven't squashed or extinguished who you are or the old way of thinking it's simply you've got a different perspective and a different set of techniques for handling yes. it and that's a really good point about techniques for handling those situations because identifying them is only half the battle so in my counseling it was quite often I'd be, I could articulate why I'd respond in a certain way in that situation right but being able to deal with it was something different you know she'd say right when you're in this situation maybe think about this or consider that and and you go and I and I'd I'd try it out and go no that didn't work and she'd go well okay well let's think about it a different way and then we'd go back with some other other tool another way of working at it and I'd go out and I'd go yeah it worked it really worked oh my god I was a different guy in that situation <laughs> you wouldn't believe it. you'd be so proud of me it was brilliant yeah yeah. You know, and, and it's, 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 
it's that kind of like having a personal coach, you know? And, and so I looked, I looked on it as though I was an athlete and I had my personal coach and I was training for the Olympics. And so my conversations when I would be reminded of my dad was just a hurdle or, you know, um, shooting a goal or whatever. And it was, how do I best tackle that? And, and it's really interesting when I reframed what I was doing, it made the world a difference for me. So I wasn't some sick psycho weirdo who's got a load of problems. It was like, I'm a human being who has challenges and I've got someone walking alongside me who can help me navigate those challenges to the best of my ability. Right, yeah. It's really inspiring to hear this. If somebody listening is, I guess if they've listened this far in the conversation, they'd be as interested in it as you seem to be about their own development, their own growth, and they may be apprehensive about it. If you could sort of outline the benefits for you in the short term, because obviously it's a journey you continue on, you're still thinking about it. And so it's changed your life dramatically, but in other ways it hasn't changed your life because you're still you. Um, and one thing I know about you is we can still go into a pub and enjoy a pint, but it doesn't get out of control. Um, so you drink socially and, well, we both appreciate local brews and that sort of thing. And it's uh, more of an academic endeavour, I should point out, isn't it, than a serious drinking campaign. Um, but I've never had the impression that, that I'm with somebody who has, let's say, a drink problem, as, as you've described it earlier. So you've hung on to the bits you want, and you got rid of the bits that have been damaging. And, and, and it's, tr it's completely transformed my whole life. I'm so much happier now because I'm happening to the world and the world is not happening to me. Okay. Because before I would go out and I'd be reacting to the things around me because I wasn't clear about who I was. So I was trying to fit into the things that were around me. And that's trying to like build a, a house on sand because it's always moving. Now I go out with a better understanding about who I am and how I interact with the world. And so I always go out with a very positive step in life and I get my knockbacks, but I get up, get up really quickly now. Yeah. Well, it should be said that you're extremely successful in the things that you do and quite eclectic in the things that you do. Mm. And now you're turning your inevitable talents to irrepressible talents, I should say, to... Um, to writing this book that we have discussed and we will continue these conversations and there's a bit of a trailer for for anybody who's listening now because I think it's going to be a fabulous uh, journey of exploration for both of us actually because I'm very interested in the creative process and I know you are too but also I know you've got a particular take on it and so I think that's going to be uh, sort of this is a segue into that into what's coming later without going into detail about it now um, for me you hit it on the head when you said you are I'm so much happier now than I ever was and I'm happening in the world the world isn't happening to me I think if I paraphrase that correctly and I would have thought anybody listening who was questioning whether they could usefully engage in a similar process. Uh, well, if that isn't a carrot, then I don't know what is. So well, I, I really do hope that if there's anyone considering it, they, they embrace it. You know, and it, like we've said, it's, it's not something that, that works from day one. It has to be worked at. But all I can tell you is on the other side of it, I never knew happiness that I know now. It, it was a mystery to me. And now I, the, I see the world in colour uh, uh, and, uh, and I, interact, I interact with people in a far healthier and beneficial way than I ever did before. And it's, it, the world's lovely. I love it. Wow. Wow. Uh, final, final question. Do you, do you ever think, do you ever envisage that you might go back to counselling for any reason? Or do you think the process, that stage of the process is finished for you? No, I, I, I think that I've, I've made such progress. Um, I, I, I am, 
I'm in a really good place now, but I, I, I'm always open to the idea that if something comes up in my life that I'm struggling with, that's a resource I can go to without hesitation. Right. Yeah, yeah. Great. Well, Eric, it's been a delightful conversation and uh, very illuminating. Maybe delightful. Delightful is a bit lightweight for what it's actually been. It's been inspirational. And I, I must thank you for your openness and honesty because I think the world needs information like this. It needs to hear from people because there is so much. I agree. And, 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 and it's part of the reason why I'm writing this book. It's about easing the, the, the pathway for people because, you know, I've struggled in so many areas. And if my working through those struggles, be it personally or as an accountant, can help someone else, why should they go through the same pain? You know? Yeah. Well, I must say, as somebody who's known you now for, I don't know what it must be, uh, 20 years-ish, 2003, I think we first met, I have never had the impression that you struggled. So you developed a way of being that concealed a lot of stuff from what you've said. And you did it very successfully. Mm. And I'm mentioning that because that's what we do. You know, that's what we do. And we think that the mm. pretense is who we are. And indeed, it becomes who we are. But it's not the only story. There is another one in there waiting to be written if we just remove the obstacles, would you say? Yeah, agreed. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. That's very well put, Barry. Thank you. Well, thank you. I've really enjoyed the conversation. If you're listening to this, uh, remember that we will be having more conversations, less about this topic here, but more about the developmental and creative process of, of writing uh, a soon-to-be, I hope, bestseller uh, <laughs> written by Eric Marshall. But we will come back to this. So why don't you subscribe or follow us and, and see what's happening? And that may even become a standalone entity in itself, the podcast, I mean, a separate podcast. Anyway, that's all from me for now. I'm really grateful for your time and I've loved the conversation and I'll look forward to continuing at some later date. Absolutely, me too, Barry. Thank you very much for the opportunity. It's been great. You've been inspirational. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye-bye. Well, and I meant what I said. I always find conversations with Eric uplifting and inspirational. So stick with us and follow our future conversations about his journey into the creative process. And that's it for this episode of Get a Better Handle on Life. Slightly longer than usual, I hope you've enjoyed it and found it useful. If there was anything I've missed or something you'd like to know more about, email me and I'd love to hear from you. You can subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. And you can also find me on LinkedIn and on my website, www.barrywinbolt.com. Incidentally, Eric's on LinkedIn too, so I'll put his details in the episode notes. And remember, life is a journey and it's never too late to get a better handle on it. I think Eric's conversation certainly illustrates that. Thanks for listening. I hope you can join me again soon. That's all from me, over and out. Goodbye.